You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. I invite you to return to Genesis 43. As we continue in our study in Genesis, we'll take the whole chapter this morning as a whole. In fact, in many ways, we could have taken chapters 42 all the way through 45, verse 15 as one whole. I thought about doing that, actually. Uh, But that's a pretty lengthy lengthy text. But we're going to be seeing some overlap as we go through this. Um, I think it's better to break it up into a couple pieces. I shouldn't say that. It could be done either way. I I don't know that one way is better than the other. Let's put it that way. A number of years ago, I taught a course at the seminary on, it was on preaching, and in that course, I was demonstrating how to choose what we call pericopes. In other words, to choose uh, the uh, sections. How do you choose a particular section in order to focus on? And I used the, the book of Ephesians, actually, as my lecture material, and I, the first thing I did in the class was demonstrate how you could preach Ephesians, the whole entire letter, in one sermon. And then from there, break it down into little pieces. So I don't know the one is, you probably will rarely hear uh, the entire book of Ephesians preached in one sermon, but it can, it can certainly be done. Uh, it can be done. Uh, this morning we come to Genesis 43. And we'll read this in its entirety. Genesis 43, verse 1. Now the famine was very severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? Well, they replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me. We will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety from my hand. You shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio, nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man may send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. 
So the men took this present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men or to dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food and When we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them, and when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them, and they bowed down to him, they bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. And they served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning and pray that, Father, you'd be pleased to bless us this morning. You'd be pleased to open up our hearts to your precious word, that you'd be pleased to instruct us. As your word says, that you would would, would give us counsel, you would equip, equip us for every good work. Lord, we look to you that we might see you, and see you afresh this morning and perhaps see you in ways we've never seen you before. Well, Father, I pray that you'll meet each one of us right, right where we are. For, O oh Lord, you're the only one who really knows where we are. So, Father, speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We will observe that verse 1 of our text, chapter 43, verse 1, actually begins almost exactly the way Chapter 42, verse 57 ends. If you just turn back there, you'll see the famine was severe over all the earth. Chapter 41, verse 57, the very last part of it. Chapter 43, verse 1, now the famine was severe in the land. 
There's emphasis there. What is being emphasized is exactly what Joseph said would come to pass, isn't it? You'll recall, uh, some of you, that a few weeks ago we looked and uh, Pharaoh had had two dreams one night, didn't he? And the Lord just really rattled his cage. So much so that he clears his schedule the next day and calls in his counselors, his dream interpreters, to come in and give interpretation of the dreams. And they're, amazingly enough, I think is as, as, as amazing the dreams that uh, Pharaoh gets, it's equally amazing that these guys keep their mouths shut because uh, these kind of characters don't keep their mouths shut very often. But they were unable to give an interpretation, which created greater anxiety. And the cupbearer finally breaks the silence and says, hey, you know, there was, when we were in jail, there was this young Hebrew who was able to interpret dreams and his interpretations came to pass, just like he said. That was enough for Pharaoh. Pharaoh summons Joseph into his courts and Joseph gives the interpretation of the dreams. He said there's going to be seven years of prosperity, great prosperity. But immediately following that, it's going to be seven years of famine that's going to be so severe that you're going to forget about all the prosperous times. And then Joseph goes a little step further, as I've pointed out on a couple of occasions, that he, he actually suggests some policy uh, for Egypt. He said, you need to set a man over this. Have him collect a fifth of the grain over the next seven prosperous years. Store it up under your authority so that the land will not perish. Now, we saw when we were there that Pharaoh notices two things about Joseph. Anybody remember what they were? He saw in Joseph the, the Spirit of God, and he saw the wisdom of God, didn't he? And of course, he names Joseph as that man, and Joseph, is, uh, Joseph ascends. There's an ascension that takes place. He's, he's actually, in one sense, kind of resurrected from the pit, if you will, and then he ascends to the throne, to the right hand of the Father. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? It's really an amazing kind of thing. Um, and of course, the seven years of prosperity have passed, and now they're in the midst of the seven years of famine, and we're told that the famine was very severe, not just in Egypt, but all the way up into Canaan. And in verse 2, we are told, back to our text, chapter 43, verse 2, that when they had eaten the grain that they had bought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. And this is where we were last week on that first trip down to Egypt. And we have this little saying that goes, boy, that was a trip. Has anybody ever used that? Boy, that was a trip. Well, I think we would say in, in chapter 42, that was a trip, wasn't it? Uh, ten brothers go down, only nine come back. Simeon has been incarcerated now for all this time. Uh, and what is God doing? He is taking necessity and he is pressing necessity against his people in order that they will face their sin. That's what we saw last time. And here we are again. They've, they've gobbled up the food that they, that they went and they purchased in Egypt. They're out of food again. And their father is saying, listen, go buy us a little bit of food. Now, in verse 3, Judah is really kind of the spokesperson at this point for the brothers. And uh, Judah says, says to him, um, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Notice how they refer to Joseph. They refer to him as the man. 
And this happens multiple times as we go down through this. In fact, I listed them here. It happens in verse 3, 6, 7, 11, 13, and 14. Three, verse 3, 6, 7, 11, 13, and 14. I did that relatively quickly. I may have missed a couple, but he's repeatedly, the point is he's being repeatedly referred to as the man. At this point, they really don't know his true identity uh, is the point. The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Now, what is going on here? Again, God is pressing necessity upon them. They're going to starve if they don't do something. But Jacob, Jacob doesn't want to do this the man's way. Jacob wants to do this Jacob's way. Now, does that sound familiar? Over the course of my ministry, on numerous occasions, as I have tried to lead people to the Lord, tried to people bring people to come to see Jesus, to come and seek Jesus, to embrace Jesus, as I've shared the gospel with people, on, time, on many occasions people have said to me, you know, I'm just going to do this my way. Has anybody ever heard that one? Has anybody ever said that one? Well, what's the answer to that? Well, the answer, well, you can, you can do things your way, but where is it going to lead you? It's going to lead you straight to perdition. Straight to perdition. Because we have to do this. If God's salvation has to be done God's way. There's no other way. Interestingly enough, I heard a few years ago, uh, I can't remember where I heard this. I can't remember if Tammy and I were at Parkside and we heard Alistair Begg say this at Parkside or if I heard a recording. I don't remember. It's not important. But I heard him say, and, and I haven't done the, the, um, uh, the research myself to verify it, but I trust the research is, is sound. But that the most popular song in the funeral parlor in the United States today is Frank Sinatra's My Way. No, it's not amazing grace. It's, uh, it's my way. I did it my way. And, and, and the, thing, the thing about this is, one thing I will say about this, at least it's consistent, isn't it? I did do it my way. But that is, please don't play that at my funeral. <laughs> um, we we got to do this God's way. You see, that's, that's, that's the issue here. That's the issue here. Jacob, why doesn't Jacob want to do this the man's way? Because Jacob is holding on to Benjamin. He doesn't want to let go of Benjamin. He's afraid. He's got good reason to be afraid, doesn't he? He has good reason to be afraid. You see how God taking necessity and pushing necessity upon us brings the inner stuff to the surface. That's why it gets so funky at weddings. You ever notice that? Like weddings? It gets really funky at weddings. Why? Because the whole family starts to get into, 
and a little bit of a stress. And what does the stress do? It brings all of the family stuff, which there's always plenty to go around. It brings it right up to the surface. And not only that, you got two families coming together. So you got one family stuff and another family stuff, all surfing, being stirred into a melting pot of stuff. Coupled with the fact, oh, I'm, well, I'll stop there. That's good enough. The point's made. This necessity, it brings stuff to the surface, doesn't it? Notice verse 6. Notice, first of all, in verse 6, Israel, Jacob is referred to as Israel. It's the name God has given him. Israel says to Joseph, and really I think he's speaking to the other brothers, you know, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? And there you can kind of almost hear him venting him. Okay, he's resenting the fact that he's in this spot. What is the spot? Well, we sit up here and we all starve to death. Or I send Benjamin with you guys. And every time you leave, you come, without, come back without a brother. That's really between a rock and a hard spot, isn't it? And he's just kind of venting. Why have you treated me so badly? Now, let's, let's, let's listen to this on the other side. Let's listen to this on the brother's perspective. Have the brothers treated their father badly? Oh, my goodness. You better believe it. The fact, Jacob doesn't know the half of it, does he? He still believes Joseph was devoured by a wild beast. He doesn't know that these guys sold him for 20 pieces of silver, 20 shekels, if you will to some Ishmaelites who carried him off to Egypt. He doesn't know that. But they know that, don't they? You see how that's getting rubbed in right now? Why have you treated me so badly? Verse 7, they replied, Well, the man questioned us. There they are referring to Joseph as the man again. The Zephaneth Paneah is uh, the name that Pharaoh gave, gave to him. That's his Egyptian name. They, they reply, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, you know, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? We, we were answering his questions. Could we in any way have known that he would say, bring your brother down? Okay, fair enough. Then in verse 8, Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we, you, and also our little ones. You know, there we see evidence that these men are changing, aren't they? What is Judah saying? Judah is right. They have to take Benjamin. Judah is right. And he's arguing, saying, listen, if we don't, we're all going to perish. And even by adding the little ones, you know, the little ones are going to perish. I mean, that's, that, that's what we call a clincher. That clinches the deal. So Jacob is really facing, the. okay, do I hold on to Benjamin? And that's probably the very thing that God is doing in Jacob's life is saying, listen, you're going to have to let go of Benjamin. Do I hold on to Benjamin and we all perish? Or do I let him go? Well, in verse 9, Judah says, I will be a pledge of his safety. Does anybody have a King James translation with them this morning? The King James reads, I'll be a surety. And some of you will be interested in that because when you hear the word surety, you'll say, that's a theological word. Yes, it is a theological word. What, is the, what does it mean? It means guarantor. I will be his guarantor. Who is your surety? Who is our surety? 
Jesus is our surety. This almost reminds you of Jesus' high priestly prayer on the night that he was betrayed. When he's, namely, when he says, oh, Father, all that you have given to me, none have been lost, except one that the Scriptures may be fulfilled. Here we're seeing changes taking place in Judah. And by the way, who is Judah? And when we get to chapter 49, we're going to see that there's a special blessing given to Judah. Judah will be the father, the patriarch, of Israel's kings, of the Davidic kings. David will be a son of Judah. Who else will be a son of Judah? Jesus will be a son of Judah. Out of Judah will come the Savior of the world. He will be the, the surety with a capital S. So Judah says to his father, I'll be a pledge of his safety. I'll be his surety. From my hand you shall require of him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, you see that you could preach on that verse by itself, couldn't you? Wouldn't that preach? If I don't bring these children back to you, but what is Jesus, what is Jesus dispatched from heaven to do? Go and gather the children that God has given him. Guess what, loved ones? That's us. Isn't that amazing? Not one of us is lost either. amazing. If your trust is in Christ, that's speaking of you. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we've not delayed, we now have returned twice. Then in verse 11, their father Israel said to them, okay, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Let me, let me stop right there. Does that remind you of anything? I'm looking at your faces. Okay, turn back to chapter 37. Look at verse uh, 25. Now, the, the context here is Joseph has showed up looking for his brothers. They have thrown him in the pit. They're discussing about, about whether they're going to murder him or not. In verse 25, they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing what? Gum, balm, myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. When Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Okay, here are these traders who are not only involved in trading commodities, they're also involved in the human trafficking business. Because they buy Joseph and they cart him off to Egypt, don't they? Now what is Jacob sending down with the brothers? Myrrh, balm, gum, honey. What do you think the Lord's up to there? Do you think he's pressing this sin upon them? I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't, wouldn't you be just going, oh my so here they are, just like the Ishmaelites that carried Joseph down. In verse 12, take double the money with you. Why? Because they came back. They came, we're going to see this in a few minutes. They came, they came back with the money. Whenever they uh, went to purchase the uh, grain, you'll recall the Egyptians threw their money back in their sack. It's been a source of anxiety to them. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and rise, go again, 
to the man. And in verse 14, notice how, how Jacob prays. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother, Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. I have a little note in my Bible. This is why I always, always suggest you bring your Bibles. I have a little note right after verse 14. And it says this, Jacob has surrendered. He has surrendered. He's let go of Benjamin. Um, if, you, if you don't mind, I mean, I, this is a little bit on the side. Do you mind a digression, just a short digression? There is a principle right here. It's not related to what I'm trying to build, but if you don't mind, um, Jacob wants to succeed at this, right? And you'll note that he does everything in his power to make this successful. One writer points this out. I think it's so helpful. He doesn't just pray, but he also does everything which is, which is in his power to make it succeed. And that's the point. Whenever we want to accomplish something, we, we can't just sit in our rooms and pray. We also have to get out and do everything we can to make it successful. But praying is the most important of these two things. And if the Lord does give it success, uh, please give the success to the Lord uh, because if it's successful, He is giving you the success. So a little digression I think is really helpful. Uh, but at any rate, back to our point here. Notice that Jacob just really lays, as he surrenders, he surrenders himself to the mercy of God. Actually, it's really to the mercy of the man, if you will. But it's one and the same as the mercy of God. It's God's mercy. He wants mercy from God. That God will move in the heart of this man so that he will receive mercy. Um, now, the, uh, the brothers, they leave. In verse 15, they make the journey. They take the present. They take double the money with them. They take Benjamin. And here they are. They arrive in Egypt and they're before Joseph at the end of verse 15. In verse 16, Joseph saw Benjamin with them, and he, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house, slaughter an animal, make ready for the men, or to dine with me at noon. And he does indeed carry out Joseph's orders. Now, when the brothers find out that they're going to be dining with the man, are they excited about it? No. How unusual. Just think about how unusual this is. What... Here's the second most powerful man in the world right now who's selling grain all day long, overseeing the sale of this grain, and he wants to have dinner with us? Why, is he want, why does he want us to come to our house? Why does he want to have dinner with us? Well, they're greatly afraid because, verse 18, because they were brought to Joseph's house. And notice what they say. They said it's because of the money. That's all they can think of is the money that was in their sacks. It's because of the money, which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we're brought in. And they think that Joseph's going to assault them, fall on them, make them servants, and seize our donkeys. Now, this is funny. I don't know if anybody's getting this yet, but this is really funny. Uh, I, I, I thought it was pretty funny, and I thought I would test it out. Yesterday morning when I was going through this, thinking which direction are we going to go with this? And, I, and I, I went up to Tammy. I took a break and I went up to Tammy and I said, Tammy, I said, do you suppose Mike Pence would like to have my truck? And she, you busted out laughing. I said, yes, it is funny. Now, where am I going with that? 
Well, Mike Pence is vice president of the United States. Do you think he's interested in my truck? Now, some of you have seen my truck. Now, I love my truck. But it's 20 years old. I've been putting patches all over it, trying so it'll pass inspection. I got patches pop riveted from one end to the other of this thing. And recently, we just welded the frame back together because the frame was almost broken in half. Do you think Mike Pence wants my truck? I don't know if Mike Pence has a truck. It is funny, isn't it? I don't know if Mike Pence has a truck, but I, I'm guessing if he has a truck, it's probably a nicer truck than mine. Do you think Joseph wants these donkeys? That's their trucks. I remember you read that and you think, the Lord has such a sense of humor. This is really funny. Really? Joseph's bringing you your house so he can steal your trucks? You think he wants those tired old donkeys? When he travels, he travels in Pharaoh's chariot. He's not interested in your donkeys. No, this is not about the donkeys. It's not about the money. That's not what it's about. They're panicked. They are panicked. They went up to the store to Joseph's house. They spoke with him at the door, and they said, Oh, my Lord, we come down here the first time to buy food, and you won't believe what happened. When we were leaving, now this does sound like a tall tale, doesn't it? When we were leaving, you know, we, we got a you know, good ways away from Egypt, and we all opened up our sacks, and there was the money. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> sure, there's the money. We opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we've brought it again with us. Well, okay, that adds some, credit. That adds some credibility to your story. They brought it back. And we've brought other money down with us to buy food, verse 22. And we do not know who put our money in our sacks. Now notice how he answers. Look at, the, look at verse 23 very carefully. Notice how this steward, notice how this servant of Joseph answers. He says, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks. Now, this reminds us, see, this is why I say this whole thing can be taken from, from 42 all the way to 45, 15, because you're seeing, you're seeing some overlap here. If you look back, you remember I made a big issue out of this, and then a big issue needs to be made out of this. If you look back to verse 42, or chapter 42, verse 18, after Joseph had put his brothers in the pit in custody for three days, Joseph brings them out, and he says, do this and you will live, for I fear God. You remember that? And you remember the bewilderment that must have been on their faces? Now, why would they be bewildered? Because Egypt is emblematic for a place of sin. Everywhere, the Bible uses Egypt as an emblem of worldliness, just like it uses Babylon in the same way. And here is this ruler, this Egyptian ruler, is saying, listen, I fear God. And ironically, here are the covenant people of God standing here, uh, 10 of them. They are circumcised men. By virtue of their circumcision, they've been bought into the covenant of grace. And they haven't even mentioned God. And here they are standing there, and this ruler is talking about God. Here, now, when we come to chapter 43, verse 23, now they're in front of a servant. And the servant is saying to them, listen, your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks. Can you imagine the conviction that would roll over these guys? 
They're supposed to be telling people about the Lord. They're not supposed to be going down to Egypt and getting instruction in the Lord. That'd be like going to Babylon to get instruction in the Lord. But they're getting instruction in the Lord in Egypt. Now, how is this possible? Well, the reader knows how this is possible. It's because Joseph. It's because of Joseph. Joseph makes it clear from the beginning when he interprets the dreams. He says, listen, I can't interpret these dreams, but God can interpret these dreams. So he's making it very clear from the start. He tells Pharaoh where the source of all this is from. It's from God. And Pharaoh observes in Joseph two things. The Spirit of the Lord is in you and the wisdom of God is in you. And Psalm 105 actually gives us some commentary on this. Psalm 105, I think it's verse maybe 20, 21, 22, right in there somewhere you can look at it this afternoon. But in that chapter, or in that psalm rather, we're told that one of the assignments that Pharaoh gave to Joseph was to instruct his elders in wisdom. Now, what is the beginning of wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. Joseph has converts in Egypt. That's the point I've been trying to make on Wednesday nights, you know, is that the chosen people of God were to be a light to the Gentiles. And this is what Joseph has done. And here is this sermon. I think that, I mean, if the, based on what we have right here, I think this man is with Joseph in heaven, this Egyptian. How amazing, how convicting. Verse 24, when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water and they'd washed their feet and they'd given their donkeys fodder. What's going on there? What's going on in there is they're extending hospitality to them. Is there any call? I mean, are they obligated to extend hospitality to them? No, they're coming down to buy grain. They, they get the money, they give the grain, off they go. But instead, Joseph is bringing them into his house. He's extending hospitality to them. He's giving them water. He's giving them uh, provisions so they can wash their feet. These guys walked around in the dust with sandals on. Can you imagine what their feet look like? They're feeding their donkeys. The donkeys that they're worried that they're going to swoof. They're feeding them. It'd be like gassing up one of our trucks. Right? What in the world is going on here? Well, verse 25, they present the present for Joseph coming at noon, for they had heard that they should eat bread there. And then Joseph, he shows up, verse 26, comes into the house. They, they bring the present to him. They bow down to him to the ground. Again, this is, in, this, is in, uh, this is in fulfillment of Joseph's dreams early in his life. And in verse 27, he inquires about their welfare. Is your father doing good? Is he still alive? You know, verse 28, is your father well? Is he still alive? Verse 29, he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. He says, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Look at verse 30. Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep. There he goes weeping again. You know, I was reading through this and studying this weeks ago. Uh, and I thought, you know, if Jeremiah is the weeping prophet, Joseph is the weeping patriarch. And as I began to study this even closer in reading some of the commentaries on it, actually others have called him that, the weeping patriarch. Um, I can relate with that quite well. Uh, he can't control himself anymore. Uh, off he goes. And he enters his chamber. He weeps. Then in verse 31, he collects himself. He comes back. He gives the word to serve the food. They serve him by himself. Them by themselves, the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves. Uh, here we're, so, we're told that the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that's an abomination. There we see there's a, there's a wall separation there. We've been talking about that on Wednesday nights too. Uh, 
And they sat, look at verse 33. They sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. What's going on here? They're sitting around the table in their birth order. How in the world would they know that? Well, they're amazed. The men looked at one another in amazement. How do they know our birth order? The youngest and the oldest one might be easy enough. The one with the most gray hair is the oldest one. The one without the gray hair is the youngest one. But how do you get all the others in between? It's like we're in the presence of somebody that knows us. And they know everything about us. Verse 34. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as theirs, and they drank and were merry with them. There's no envy. That's the point of that last section right there. See, they've had a problem with envy, haven't they? That's how Joseph ended up getting sold off to Egypt. But here they are. They see that Benjamin gets five times the amount that they get, and they don't care. They are changing, aren't they? Now, what, what's the point of all of this? What's the, what's the point of all of this? The, the shorter catechism, question number 87, really helps us with this. It helps us with this so tremendously because it asks the question, what is repentance unto life? And some of you remember we studied this. It's been a couple of years ago now, but we spent a lot of time. I think we spent two years studying the catechism, didn't we? What is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace. In other words, it's grace that God gives. It's His favor. All these things that are happening to these men are agonizing. But look at the grace God is dispelling by pushing this necessity upon them. He's bringing this stuff to the surface till so he can deal with it and give them forgiveness and bring them close to himself, right? That's a saving grace, not a common grace, a saving grace. It's a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, okay, a true sense of sin, this is happening, isn't it? Uh, here, I want you guys to carry the, the balm and the gum and the honey and everything down to Egypt. Ow, ouch. Could you, why have you treated me so badly? Ouch. Boy, if you only knew. Could you imagine how their twisted conscience is, is processing that? When their father says, why have you treated me so badly? Oh, dad, you don't know the half of it. That's a true sense of sin. Is that in and of itself sufficient to bring us to Jesus? Is, is preaching the law in and of itself enough to bring us to Jesus? The answer is emphatically no. No one's going to come to Jesus. Oh, it, it, the law will be, will, will be adequate to convict you of sins. If we preach the law, we can plaster your hearts all over the back wall back there somewhere. But will that bring you to Jesus? No, it won't. Not if we stop there. Because no one's going to come to Jesus until they, as the catechism continues, until they apprehend the mercy of God in Christ. That's why this is, this is why this has to be studied, you see. Because in that one little answer, we can teach children that there are two parts to this. There's conviction of sin but there's also apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. What's that, Dad? What is that? Well, you have to understand that God is merciful. Let's, let's get back into our text here for a moment. 
And let's be one of the brothers for a moment. And let's just ask a simple question. Why in the world are they doing this? Why are they being so nice to us? We don't deserve this. No, no, you don't. You sure don't. That's a true statement. Hey, listen, we, we, when we got in the lodging place, you'll never believe what we found in each of our sacks. We found this money. We found the money in our sacks. We don't know who put it there. Your father put it there. God put it there. What? No, no, God, God put the money in your sacks. Why? Because he's merciful. See, this is the next thing you guys need to learn, is that I'm merciful. I am merciful. See, we're preaching this whole thing. Our second point would be God's mercy. Our first point would be conviction of sin. Second point would be apprehension of his mercy. See, the Westminster Divines got it right, didn't they? They knew a little bit something about this. Didn't they? Better believe they did. Many of them read the the epistles of Paul once a week in the Greek. In the Greek. They didn't have computers and stuff. They had it all in their heads. Apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. I have a couple of points here. Why would God do anything nice? We don't deserve anything nice. Well, it's because it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance, isn't it? Romans 2.4. What leads you to repentance? It's God's kindness. It's God's kindness. How is a man or a woman to let go of, their most, of what's most precious to them unless they see the beauty of God's mercy in Christ? Right? How is Jacob going to let go of Benjamin or whatever it is? We each have our Benjamins. I put it in a plural because we got more than one of them. The fact, we don't even know all of them yet because God hasn't pressed that upon us yet. He doesn't convict us of all of our sins at once. And you realize what that would do to us? That's why no one can see his face and live. If we saw his face, what would happen? Every sin in our life would come to the fore at one time. And what would that do to you? What would it do to me? What would it do to us? It would destroy us in an instant. But our God is so patient with us. And he works with us one by one, revealing things to us, just like he's doing here. Revealing sin, revealing sin, revealing his mercifulness in the midst of sin. Who's going to let go of their stuff unless they realize, unless they realize God is merciful to them? Who's going to come to him unless they realize it? How are you going to let go of the control in your life unless you acknowledge the depths of God's mercy? Jacob wants to control. He wants to be in control, doesn't he? No, I, listen, we're not sending Benjamin. You guys just go down and see what you can do about buying some, some food. Go down there and plead with him. Tell him we're starving to death. He'll, maybe he'll give you some food. No, Jacob, you're not in control. The man told us, you will not see my face unless we have Benjamin. Oh, maybe I don't have to surrender my heart to Jesus. Maybe I can go another way, you know? Maybe I can do this another way. Maybe I can do this my way. No, you can't. No, you can't. How is anyone going to let go of that until they see the mercy of God in Christ? An evangelist that just preaches the law is an evangelist who has never led anyone to Christ. 
which would not which would disqualify him as an evangelist, wouldn't it? The good news of the gospel, the law is part of it. The law is part of it. We've got to preach Christ. You've got to preach him in his beauty. Preach him, preach him in his majesty. Preach him in his splendor. Who is he? He is none other than the second person of the Trinity, walking in flesh. And what has he done? He has gone to the cross to atone for every single sin that we've ever committed. We can't even add them up. We couldn't even tell him everything that we've done, but he could tell us everything. They could say, well, the first thing you did was this, and the second thing you did was this, and down the list he could go. But the good news of it is, the good news of it is, is when he shed his blood in our place, he got rid of that list. He got rid of the list. That's the beauty of the gospel. How do we appropriate that? Jacob leads the way. Or if it must be so, well, let's do it his way. I surrender to you, Lord. I am going to surrender my everything. Everything that I'm cognizant of, I lay at your feet. I lay down at your feet. And I cast myself upon your mercy, and I put my trust in you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we so thank you that you have given us such a thorough and great salvation because you've given us such a great and awesome Savior who has paid our sin debt in full and who is just like you, you sought after these men. They were your covenant people. You sought after them. They were not looking for you. You were looking for them. You sought after them. And so patiently you worked with them, pressing, pressing upon them, working their sins and their stuff to the surface so that you could deal with it, so it could be dealt with in Christ Jesus. And us too, oh Father, we think of our own lives, and Father, we can so easily put ourselves here, Father, in so many ways, Father. You, you have come to us. You have sought us. You've, you've created us. You've You've chosen us. You've redeemed us in Christ Jesus. And you continue now. Uh, we too, O oh Father, as your covenant people, you work in our hearts and you, you expose our hearts. You expose the stuff that's in our hearts so that you can work with us in our lives. All your amazing patience, O oh Father. May that spill over into our lives and enabling us to be patient with each other as we see how patient you are with us. But O oh Father... Here we see, we so see the mercy, your mercy, O oh Father. We see that second and important component in coming to you is the, the mercy, your mercy in Christ Jesus. Oh, Father, fill our hearts with this this morning. Father, fill our hearts with this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.